In this episode of the Jules Show podcast, Jules talks with Don Nelson. It's his story of growing up in a Christian home, going to a very traditional church. It was an experience that left him feeling numb, a ritual with no relationship. To Don, it didn't seem like people around him bore evidence of being filled with the Spirit. But ultimately, he connected with Christ. So Don, first of all, thanks for being here on my, mm-hmm. in my back porch. Yeah. Um, uh, being willing to chat. You know, I actually heard about you months ago, and then Corona happened. But you know what? Even though Corona happened, you've been in my mind, and I've been like, okay, I need to, I need to reach out to this Don guy mm-hmm. and talk to him because everybody's been telling me you got to hear his story. Okay. The pressure's high. I'm setting the bar yeah, really high. Yeah, setting the bar high. Yeah. Okay, but here's the deal, Don. I'm just a little nervous about you, me talking to you, because you're super smart. I mean. You have a PhD. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't necessarily <laughs> translate to smartness. That translates <laughs> to able to jump through particular hoops. Okay, so PhD, mm-hmm. professor at the University of Georgia, and so I'm a little kind of nervous. I want to I want to sound smart for you. All right, so I feel like we need to just establish some ground rules. Okay. Sure. All right, I got three. Okay. That I came up with after reading your website. I went to University of Georgia okay. and I did all this research on you. Which and website I, did you go to? Just the one. No, I went to that one, the University of Georgia, okay. and then I went to your own personal okay. one. Yeah, that so I was better. reading up, yeah. and there were so many big words. I was like, I don't know exactly <laughs> what he does. Like, I think he travels, and he yeah. researches people, I think, is my mm-hmm. general sense. But what I did, leaving it, is that I realized you're very smart, and um, so I need some ground rules. First okay. of all, you cannot use any big words. Okay. And if you three syllables maximum. Yes, okay. third grade level, right. third grade reading levels. What I need you to think when you communicate okay. to me. Okay. And um, the second thing is, uh, well, first of all, no, no, no. This is the B section of number one. If you use big words, I need you to explain it to me. Sure. Okay, great. Number two, you can't laugh at me. Okay. Okay. So if well, I that say that goes both ways, right? Is it? Yeah, oh, I think so. Uh, is that an agreement? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you're coming up with your own list of rules. Yeah. I like this. Yeah. Okay. And number three. When I make a mistake, I need you to just play it off. Just nod your head. If I say anything wrong, if I refer to anything incorrectly, you know, just just roll with it. We're yeah. just gonna we're gonna accept that, and I'll do the same okay. for you if you if you do anything. Sounds good. All right, but I do. I, so I called some of your friends, and then um, after you find out what I found out about you, you might be like, ah, do we <laughs> consider them as friends anymore? This sounds like a game show. More than a- <laughs> I know. I heard I need to talk to you about having a. California swag? Dude, I know who you talk to. <laughs> There's only one person that says that to me. Yeah. yeah. Well, what is this? I need to know. What is a California swag? I don't know. You'd have to ask my so-called friend that says that. He just thinks the way I dress reminds him of California. I think well, you do have it. some flip-flops on. I do, but yeah, they're Brazilian flip-flops. I spent a lot of time in Brazil, as you probably noted from the from your website, all your travels. Mm-hmm. Okay, so maybe eventually you show me this California swag. Is it a walk? Is it just it's your just attire? Just my attire. Just I'm your attire. Sure. Yep, yeah, that's all I think. It okay, is. so yeah. immediately after you're done talking with me, you're gonna go give your so-called friend a call. Is that <laughs> so what's gonna happen? No, he's he's fine. We're good. All right. So now that we got all this paperwork, all this stuff taken care of, tell me your story, Don. Where did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, I moved there when I was a, a little tiny baby. So my dad was from there. Uh, so we moved back. He and his mom, he had, 
my mom had met in D.C., and I was born there, and so they moved back, and he took my mom away from the ocean and took her to the middle of the United St continental United States. Uh, so that's where I grew up, and I was there until I was about 26 when I went off to Arizona. When did things begin to start going off the rails for you? <laughs> I don't know. I've been, you know, since I got the invitation to be here, I've been reflecting a bit on some of these things. And it's kind of hard to say when things, I mean, you can say when particular ac actions happened or particular behaviors happened, but I mean, I think there are roots that go down deeper, right, that lead to those. Those things don't just happen out of nowhere. And, you know, I think a lot of it, I just was even as a little kid, right? I think that I had a lot of insecurities and a lot of fears and a lot of things that just weren't getting addressed for various reasons, right? And um, so basically in seventh grade is where the behaviors started happening, right? So heavy drinking and those kinds of things. In and seventh grade? From there. Yeah, so I would have been 11 or 12, something like that. How did you get exposed to that in such a young age? Well, I don't know that it was exposed in the sense of being around other people. It was just an idea. It sounded like a good idea, and so we went after it, I guess. Mm -hmm. And how, um, how was your your family? Um, did, were they take, going to church? Did you, oh, were absolutely. you raised in a... Yeah, yeah, I was definitely raised in the church, and my parents are strong believers. Um, so we at that time, we were going to a, a Lutheran church from the Missouri Synod, and I never felt comfortable there, right? And, um, you know, I felt it was a lot of, uh, you know, Midwestern, old people sorts of uh, religion, right? It's okay. kind of how I saw it, and so I never felt home. There, my parents did change to First Evangelical Covenant Church when I, I don't know how old I was, probably 15 or 16, and there's still members there. Yeah. yeah. Well, so you started heavy drinking in the seventh grade. Did, were your parents aware? Uh, I don't believe so. Yeah, I don't know. We've never actually talked about when they yeah. first became aware. I mean, we I know when it became a problem for them, but I don't know what when they first had suspicions or anything. But there was a problem? Yeah. So would you say at that point you had a relationship with Jesus, or was it, oh, no. were you searching, or were you seeking? No, I don't think so. Not that I recall. I, so... <laughs> Talking about my past and talking about my history is challenging because I don't actually have a great memory period, right? So some of these things is, are, are a little hard to answer, not because I'm trying to be stubborn, but really because I'm, I don't really know. I'm not quite sure. But um, no, I certainly don't remember seeking it or searching at that point in time. I mean, um, I guess I always felt that I could figure it out, right, and, and knew what the answers were. So. So you went on your life trying to figure it out, and yep. so you, and in seventh grade, and then what happened after that? Well, I mean, I think things just stayed fairly low key for a while, um, and there was certainly still those kinds of behaviors going on. But it was really when I got into high school, which at that time was tenth grade, uh, that things really started going south as I met more people and was exposed to more opportunities, um, you know, for different um, types of drugs or whatever it was. And that's where it really kind of went downhill and it, and it went fast. Um, you know, my grades 
you know, my first year in high school, I still was able to maintain fairly well. I was on the debate team and did fairly well. But you're smart. I mean, you were able. I mean, well, you are able to keep it up. Most people would have their grades would have tanked way. But before. it went down pretty quickly after that, and so I, again, all right, I'm trying to think of particular times or years, but it wasn't long after my tenth grade year that I my parents put me into treatment, right, um, to outpatient drug and re drug. Uh, rehabilitation treatment at one of the hospitals there um, and I think at that time I would have been a junior in high school so I was probably 16 young. yeah and um, I came out of there and I wasn't using I wasn't drinking I wasn't doing anything but you know my mind and attitudes and beliefs hadn't changed at all right and so that was all still there all of that sort of inner turmoil and trying to figure things out and dissatisfaction and fear and whatever it was was still there um, and I ended up moving out of my house when I was 17 when I was still a senior in high school the way I recall it, it might be recalled differently by other people. I had told my parents I was moving out, and then um, we got into a huge fight and they kicked me out. I don't know which exactly how it went down, but in the end I ended up renting a place with a, a buddy of mine um, and somehow managed to graduate high school literally by the grace of one of my teachers because I was working at that time, so I had a job, but using, and or I wasn't using, I guess I was just working but I ended up sleeping through my finals in my high school because I it was a long way to go to school I had had to move far away but he ended up passing me anyway so I got my high school diploma which which was a good thing so I'm pretty grateful to him for for doing that he certainly didn't have to do that yeah right. so you were living on your own by 17 mm-hmm. yep. you got a diploma yep and then, then what happened to Don? Where, where did you go and from there? Then I just, I kept working for a long time, living. I still, I still in somebody the other day, actually, this apartment I lived in with this buddy of mine, it was a studio apartment, two 17-year-old guys, right? So we each have these tiny little beds on either side of the room. And uh, as soon as we moved out, the building got condemned, right? Because it was in such bad shape and filled with all kinds of rats and cockroaches and stuff but it was what we could afford right I mean we couldn't afford anything better um, so uh, kept working for a long time I worked you know in kitchens for a long time at some point along the that point in time I started drinking and started using again pretty pretty heavily and I worked at a tire warehouse for about three years so loading <laughs> loading uh, tractor trailers uh, and unloading tractor trailers of car tires and um, uh, tractor tires and it, it was pretty so, but you were still able rough. to work and then manage your addiction yeah keep it I all mean, a lot of the guys that worked in that warehouse were pretty hardcore I mean it was a tough job right I mean and you know yeah. people I guess sort of so you were able to manage your addiction when did, at yeah. what point did the addiction start managing you well, I no, I yeah, managing my addiction probably never really happened. I think it always managed me. I mean, I may you know, I was able to maintain a front, but there wasn't any management going on. Right? How low did you have to go till you finally said enough? Well, it's kind of hard to say because I don't know that 
I, there were probably a couple times along the way where I said that, right? Um, but I didn't actually, I, did, I didn't quit everything all at once, right? So um, there were a couple times, actually one point in my life I remember when I was still working at the tire warehouse and uh, my boss, he was the shift boss, his name was George. He was a crazy dude. He, um, and I don't know exactly what he was using at that point in time, but we worked overnight, or we worked like at 2 a.m. in the summertime because it was so hot, so they got us in there early before it got too hot. And so you'd work under these fluorescent lights, and it was really grungy in there. And I, st I still remember this time, I, he was sitting on the floor outside the office, and he kind of had his trousers pulled down to his knees. And he like had these giant scabs all over his body, and he's like picking at these scabs. And I'm just looking at this guy. I don't know what he was on at the time. I didn't, he wasn't like a good buddy. <laughs> I talked to a lot, but I just remember saying, "Oh my God, I cannot. I, this, this is my future. I do not want this to be my future." Right? Yeah. And actually, that's when I went back to school. I, that's when I went to college. That moment, just seeing. Pretty much after that, I was like, I can't do this. It's anymore. almost like looking through the looking glass, right? Yeah, I, I was like, I need to do something different. Um, but I used all the way through college and all the way. Kept through, using all the way through my PhD. Actually, I, you know. And your parents are believers. What was that like for them at the time? Uh, I think really, really rough, really, really hard. I mean, I know in talking to them that they prayed a lot, right? But it was, and, but I know it was really hard. It was hard for the whole family, right? For my sister, I have two younger sisters as well. I know, so. Yeah, to see that this is the path that you're on right now. Yeah. So what was it, Don, that to get you off that path? What What did you? Or did you have? How, how about this? I'll, I'll yeah. word it this way. You had that one moment when you looked at your boss, <laughs> and you realized this is my future. Yeah. If this path continues, did you have other moments like that where you? could see yourself and say what am I doing no absolutely and most of the time it had to do with the people I was hanging around right being around people that I was like I do not want to end up my life like this right being at parties where there's giant piles of meth and guns and people you know or you know people that are 50 years old that are just strung out it's hanging out at the same places that I'm at at 25 or 30 years old and they're just miserable, right? And there's no happiness and no joy in their life, and they're living from one day to the next. And, you know, just, just realizing that, wow, this is not <laughs> where I want to go, right? And, you know, I know there are a lot of people out there that just quit from one day to another or whatever, but that was really not my experience. All the way through, it, almost all the way through my PhD, it was pretty hardcore. I'd actually have to say it probably changed about the time that I met my wife, um, and I it, that chilled me out a lot. Um, you know, I was still drinking, and and then at that point in time, it was I like to think it was under control, I guess. But um, but what eventually stopped me completely was I don't know how long ago it was, maybe six or seven years ago. We were living here in Athens. And um, at that point in time, I was drinking a few times a week. But I just remember one morning I was uh, just sitting there and praying and listening to God and, and um, you know, thinking that I had everything under control. And I just remember hearing that if you want to go grow closer to me, you are going to quit this, 
right? This is going to block you and keep you from getting to know me. And, you know, when I think about it, it wasn't at that time, I wasn't out getting drunk all the time and I wasn't doing all those things, but it was this link to who I was in the past. And it was this link to those kinds of thoughts, right? And those kinds of beliefs and those kinds of, and those things that were holding me back. And I realized, so, you know, I don't, have a problem with people that drink, right? I don't think it's, you know, but a for bad you, thing. it was a but connection. For me, it was a connection that I just had to cut and I had to, had to, you know, but by this That's time, interesting that you, yeah. that, that God revealed that, that that was your one last little like hook that yeah. of independence from Him. Like that yeah. was your last. Re- I mean, it really just had that same link, link. You know, sometimes you'd have those feelings where, should I have another beer? And it would just get you all stressed out and you'd start, I'd start going back in my head about all these things. And so it was, it was really clear to me, right, that that's what I had to do. Um, but, you know, I, you know, before that, um, I had stopped using any kind of drugs for quite some time. Um, but a lot of that really was once I became a Christian earlier. This would have been in 2006, I think. The years again are throwing me off. It, that's what happens with age. Yeah. It all just kind of blends together. But my wife and I were living in England, in Norwich. I was doing a postdoc at a university there. And we had both, I mean, even before we got married, we got married really quickly. We got married nine months after we met each other. Wow, so that is quick. 16 and a half years into it right now. Um, but we both knew that there was something missing from our lives. She had grown up in a church and I had, so we had exposure. So we knew that there was possibilities, right, of something that were out there. And uh, we had actually tried a couple of churches. We had, we have some good laughs about some of those experiences, some of the places we ended up uh, visiting. Uh, but we were in England and it was, particularly rough for my wife because she was still learning English and it was hard to because she's from from Brazil that's right yeah yeah. and for me it was a little better because I had my work right so you automatically meet people at work and have these kinds of interactions but one of the guys that I worked with there Chucks he um, he's Nigerian and he pastored a church in London from time to time but he invited us to the church the Earlham Community Church there uh, in Norwich in this town that we were at and we went there this was Good Friday so it wouldn't have been 2006 it would have been 2007 Good Friday and you hadn't had did you have a child at that point I'm trying to do we the did math not have a child at okay. that point because you have she a seventh grader later. I was trying to do yeah. the math real quick but I'm not that quick yeah, at she's math. 2007 okay yep and uh, I just remember feeling this is where I need to be this is this is what I need and um, and that church was amazing, right? As I find it somewhat ironic that, you know, the place where I actually came to know and accept Christ is in an extremely secular country, yeah. right, as opposed to the I had US. the same thought when you told me that. Yeah. Um, but it was a wonderful place. And one of the things that really appealed to me, I told you, you know, the church that we went to in, in Lincoln was like these old white people, and I didn't relate to them. But this was a church It was... 
Um, it's a community church. The pastor uh, the, and his wife were uh, South African. They had planted this church. And there were people there from all over the globe, literally, right? I mean, from Indonesia, from India, from different parts of Africa, from Europe, from the U.S. But all united all, under one faith, yeah, they're all one baptism. Their sort like that's cultural outfits, so and cool. they're speaking in different languages and praying in different languages. And it just, you know, it, and it just spoke to me, and and it really, it really spoke to me and said, this is a place where everybody belongs and everybody can find themselves. Right? So when you um, came to Christ, was, was it you and your wife together or was your wife? Yeah, well, she'd have to tell you her own story, I guess. I would hesitate to speak for her. But it was, you know, for me, it wasn't one of these overnight sorts of transitions that, you know, now I'm suddenly, it was a long process um, to actually understand and and to accept Christ. Right? Well, do you think it's it's kind of how your brain is wired? I mean, you're Probably. a professor and Probably. you study and you investigate. Yeah. So was that kind of how maybe you would say God pursued you? He Probably. just let you investigate him and he just... There's a few things that kind of stand out. I mean, I, mean, I remember one time, you know, my dad was talking to me about... Um, you know, my dad's an attorney. He's also, you know, uh, analytical and thinks that's, about things. That's and a big word. You agreed you wouldn't say that kind Sorry. of word? Very a, smart. Super, super smart. Okay. He's, he's a <laughs> he thinks about things. <laughs> but, you know, he had talked about in First Corinthians where Paul is talking about the wisdom of God and the foolishness of the world and how this spoke to him. And it was something that actually really struck me as well. You know, a lot of the work that I do in this world has to do with trying to make people's lives better and looking at, you know, places where people don't have enough food or where people are really exposed and vulnerable to cyclones or hurricanes or droughts or poverty and how we can make those things better. And, you know, and I think that's good and I think those are noble activities but I also have always in my heart harbored this sort of belief that humans are not capable of solving these problems right because in the end we are all you know for as good as people can be and act we have all sorts of problems at an individual level of selfishness and all these kinds of things yeah right? the sin yeah how, how do you um how do you bring that into your profession because the anthropologists, I'm sure yeah. there's other people, other colleagues who don't, who think if we just work harder, if we modify behavior more, yeah. then we'll fix, we'll fix humanity. Well, I do think we can do things a lot oh, better. Oh, for sure. Right? We can yes. do things a yes. lot better and make this place a much but better But the root. World. But the root of that is something that, yes, me and colleagues would strongly disagree upon, right? Because I, I can't see that as something that we have ever solved the problems. We have sort of ethically, we have seen big changes, right? In terms of what we think of as a society as, as what Acceptable. is ethical and right. not. And, and, and that's great. Yeah. But the, it's just, you know, we cannot by humans create a utopia on this planet. And that was something that just always stuck with me from thinking about talking to my dad because it sort of struck some of those things that I had always struggled with as somebody how do we make this thing better right um, that you know we can do things that can make things better but it's not going to resolve the problem mm -hmm. always think about it Don is like pushing the darkness back like yeah. we can push the dark and we're called to push it back sure yeah and then the other thing I, I remember too um, my dad had given me a book and I 
I guess it was 2001. I had never read it. It was called Letters from a Skeptic from Gregory Boyd. Um, and uh, I think I read, I remember reading it here in Athens. So this was after we got back from England. And that was another thing that really helped me work through all of this. And this is him writing letters to his dad, exchanging letters to his dad. And his dad was a skeptic, right? And he was the seminarian and theologian and all these kinds of things. And um, so talking through all those things. So so it took a, a long time, right, for these things to really sink in and to, to really be able to understand. All right, more of the Jules Show and Jules interview with Don Nelson coming up. Happy New Year from the Finding Joy podcast. Join us on our latest episode for a very special conversation with the general manager of the Joy FM, Rick Davison. And as we close out the year that seemed to go on forever, Rick gives us his perspective on where we've been and shares his hope for the future. It would be a truly cruel God and creator who put us here and causes us to suffer if there is no purpose in the suffering. What differentiates God from some uncaring dictator is that there is a purpose. And because there is a purpose, those things come together to give us insight and understanding and values and reshapes our priorities. It's the Finding Joy podcast. Find it along with a full lineup of other podcasts that we offer under the On Air tab at thejoyfm.com. You can also listen and subscribe everywhere you find fine podcasts and on the Joy FM Georgia mobile app. Just tap on podcasts. How do you see um, that God led you to where you are, University of Georgia, as a professor? How do you see that as um, maybe your calling or how do you use where God has placed you? So a couple of places. I mean, one is the university, right? One is the community. You know, I did, I do feel like I should be at the university. One, I think I'm good at what I do, right? So it's always good to do things that you're good at because <laughs> you feel good about it. Um, but I don't know. I just, I really, really, really enjoy working with young people, which is strange, right? Because when I came here, um, I had no experience in teaching and what I really came here to do was to do research and all these other kinds of things but what I found out that I really enjoy is, is the teaching right and getting to know students I have a big lab you know I have seven or eight students in there and I just I really like mentoring right and, and training these kids and you know and you know I don't preach the Bible to them, right? It's not an appropriate place to do that because some people have been scarred by things in the past and some people are uncomfortable and, you know, and, and that's not my role, but my role is to dem to live out my life as a believer, right? And treat people well and give them encouragement and give them hope. And when they want to talk to me about things, I'm available to do that. And I do that with undergraduates and graduate students, right? When it's appropriate. So I do think, you know, that's, that's a place I'm supposed to be, you know. Um. So, Don, now you're a professor, yep. father to married, um, and you have a heart to really minister to people and um, pour into people who um, are in that cycle of poverty here in Athens, where we are. Um, but there is a season of your life where y you knew what it felt when you had no idea what the next meal was going to look like. Um, because of choices that happened to you, mm -hmm. um, choices that you made, 
Can you maybe touch on that and kind of tell us how low things got for you? Yeah, yeah you know, I mean, <clears throat> part of it, uh, again, telling you the exact time, exact years or whatever is not going to be possible. But part of this now, was, I'm, I'm sorry. Do, is your inability, is it all because of the drugs and I the don't alcohol? Know. Yeah. I have no idea. Some yeah. people just don't have good memories. My husband's one of them. Yeah. No, despite might. what he says. <laughs> yeah, my wife gives me a hard time. Especially if it's chores. Time. I don't know. That man, he just, his memory is just out the window. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you asked me to do that? Like, yes, I did, honey. Anyway, okay, you I was agree. just curious because you've mentioned that a couple of times. Yeah. I didn't know if you felt like that was I, no, I mean, chemical our, induced. It doesn't matter, I mean, the exact time, but there were times, you know, I, I didn't have places to live, um, although I don't recall ever having to live on the street. You know, I could usually stay with friends and couch, couch surf, surf. And yeah. those kinds of things. But I did oftentimes get meals from soup kitchens, right, because I didn't have money to buy food. There was a, a long period of my life where I lived basically selling plasma uh, twice a week, right, uh, to make money, and there was a place called Harris Labs. Uh, I don't know if it's still there, but they did medical experiments, right? So trials of drugs and all these kinds of things. And you could sign up. And so um, you could get paid for being injected with things and letting them draw your blood. So, you know, sometimes they would just be come in and stay the weekend for a couple of weeks. But the good ones where you'd stay for a whole month, you'd stay over there for a whole and period let them of do time. Experiments so you'd have a place you, to live. You'd get fed and then you'd get out of there and get like a thousand bucks or something so I definitely made my living doing that uh, for a long time and like I said you know not having always money to buy food and those kinds of things uh, so knowing how that feels how does that compel you when you work with others that are in that same maybe not exact boat yeah. I don't know I, I guess I just it's a tough place to be right I mean you know, there are a lot of people in those situations that are there, they have mental illness, right? And it's really challenging. But there's a lot of people, other people that have made bad choices or have had situations sort of out of their control that happen. And, you know, trying to be able to work with people to help them move out of those situations is something that I, is really important for me. And so, you know, being able to do that through the Sparrow's Nest has just really been a blessing. Um, we, what I, I've done a variety, I guess, of different things there, but what we've been doing over the last year is teaching a class called Breaking the Cycle. Uh, and it's a curriculum that's developed and it's based on science and all these kinds of things, but it's written in a way that is accessible to, to all of these different people. And basically what it is, is helping people, one, figure out how they got to where they are, changing the way that they think about themselves, the way they think about situations around them, the way they think about other people, and by changing that, actually able to behave in different ways that get them to the places they want to do, or, or rather the, getting them to the places that they want to get, right? Whatever their objectives or whatever their goals are. So it's really getting people to reflect and think and, and you know, learn cognitive skills and other kinds of behavioral skills that can get them to where they want to go. Isn't that, isn't that awesome to see that like, okay, so you have this past, that you could cover it up, or, or you could let God use it in somebody else's life. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it's it's interesting, you know, because it, I don't talk about my past very much. It doesn't come up, 
and until some nosy woman keeps asking you questions in her backyard pestering me about it (laughs) and it's not like it's hidden right there are people that know and i tell them about it but but you know i i think that it's a bit of an injustice for me to just leave it in the past right? right because i think i have learned a lot and have things to offer and to see you know we're getting we've started a new cohort in this class right now and we're about four weeks into it and this is where you really start to see those changes right and people they suddenly these things start sinking into them right and they start understanding and they have all these questions and they're really excited and they start telling you about things that they've done differently at home and in their relationships because of these things that they've been learning right or you have a 50 year old woman come up to you and say wow thank you for this i never knew that i didn't have to get mad about these kinds of things i never knew there was a way to do something differently it's just amazing right and you know these aren't short-term solutions right there are things that they will have to continue to work and and build on but you know obviously the the goal is to give people those skills and the ability to do that and then there's a component where people get fed you know or not fed um uh, get training in different types of employment opportunities and then get uh, hired on to jobs so so rat but but really focusing on changing the person from the inside and getting them ready for those kinds of opportunities so yeah but don when you share when you have the opportunity to tell them okay this was the path this was my mindset this mm-hmm. was what i was thinking the choices i made and and this is what i am now doing as a professor at university of georgia what is that like to them, giving them, I'm sure, just so much hope to be like, okay, all right. Yeah. Now, Don was couch surfing. Don was addicted to drugs and alcohol, and you know, maybe there's a chance for me. Yeah, I hope so, right? Yeah. I hope that's how they see it. I know sometimes they're a bit incredulous when I tell them things. <laughs> they say, what? Incredulous. I never... I'm sorry. Again, yeah. again, Don with the big words. Sometimes but yes. they're yeah, a bit disbelieving. <laughs> right? They don't quite buy it. Yeah. Uh, they say, no way. I well, can't imagine you doing yeah. that or, or not. But mm-hmm. but I, I but I think they do believe me, um, right? And so I hope that it does right give hope. You know, not that everybody's going to be a professor, but that there are opportunities to direct your lives in ways uh, that you want to go. Now, I mean, one of the things we talk about in that class is that we can't control everything around us. Bad things are going to happen, right, to all of us. Challenges 2020. Come up. Yeah, exactly. That's a continuous, ongoing one. Um, but the way that we look at those, the way we interpret those and our beliefs about those challenges, we can control, right? And we have the ability to do that. And that's what, that's what our behavior is based on, right? Our behavior isn't based on something bad happening. Our behavior is based on the way we interpret, right? Or the way we believe uh, that something happened, right? And that's what we act on. And so being able to sort of take a step back and look at things in the world a bit more objectively, think about where we actually want to be, is, and is this decision going to help get me to where I want to be, right, or is this going to hold me back, right? And, and whether it's, for a lot of people, it's literally going back to jail, right, or getting caught up in bad relationships or whatever else it is. Mm-hmm, no more addiction or... Mm-hmm. Do you see that maybe you started changing your thoughts? Like when, when you now look back, you're like, hmm, I maybe kind of did some of this, applied some of this behavior and I didn't even realize of rechanging my behavior and my thoughts and that's a good question i have never done that i thought about that in the past i think about it now right as i'm acting through my daily life uh maybe i should take a step back and 
do a camera check is what I they call was, it. Is a, that what they call a it? A camera in, check. You kind of business. try and look at these things objectively rather than through your subjective sort of um, viewpoint. Um, I don't know. Maybe. I think not, uh, certainly not consciously, but I think that, you know, some of the things that we teach in that class that are necessary for long-term change and necessary to be able to take a step back and do these things certainly are biblical, right? And things like humility is a key one, right? Um, responsibility, gratefulness, all of these kinds of things are biblical. And I certainly see changes as I have been walking with Christ in my life that those things have become more a part of who I am right so it wasn't necessarily I'm gonna go be humble but those things do sort of begin to grow and develop I guess like you said over time when you were investigating God and Mm -hmm. he was pursuing you um you know just hearing you share your story reminds me of the scripture where um he meant it for harm God is meant it for good Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's turning that story. Sure. You know that now this is your your story is now a blessing to other people. I would hope so. I mean, I hope it's not all been just for not or just for me. But you know, one of the things too, and um, we talked to I talked to Ann about this actually before we sat down to do this interview, is that a lot of these things we haven't talked about with our kids, right? You know, they're seven and twelve or seven. Oops. 10 and, and 12, and we've talked about things sort of in general, but it hasn't been appropriate necessarily sure. to talk about stories and details. And so, you know, I've always, and probably every parent is like this, right? Well, I don't want my kids to go no, through what I did, and they need to learn from my lessons, and, I, you know, for, to whatever degree that ever actually plays out, I don't know. Um, but I certainly have always hoped that this is a story that can help my kids. And so before saying yes, I would sit down with you, we, my wife and I actually sat down with the kids and say, said, hey, um, you know, we're talking in, in more general terms, but, you know, we've never really talked to you about a lot of the details in our past and what we've been through. You know some of it. Um, how would you feel about this? Because it's going to bring things up and we're going to have to sit down and, and talk about it. And they absolutely amazed me. They were so supportive and so excited and recognizing that I had made mistakes in the past and, and being supportive of that, right? And so I, you know, I hope that, you know, that it's something that's beneficial even for them as well. And so, and obviously this is, that was the first of many conversations. God, I didn't come. know that and I appreciate you sharing that what yeah. and when you when you when you tell your kids a story and I know it'll be more unpacking throughout their sure. lives like all of us parents do yeah what would be the major takeaway you want for your kids to have okay so here here is something that I've I've been learning how to communicate this right so as a as a radio personality, as a professor, you learn how to communicate things, sometimes through trial and error. Right. Oh, that didn't work very well. I'm going to try <laughs> and say that again. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that I recall as a kid and thinking about Christianity is that it was a whole bunch of rules, right? And you had to follow these rules, and there is absolutely no freedom, 
right? And that was a big part of who I was. was I need to be my own person. I need to be free. I know everything, right? And I want to be able to do these things and have this kind of fun. And one of the things I realized that Christ, the in Christ, right? First of all, you are free to do things, right? You're free to do whatever you want, right? Hopefully you change, right? And your desires for what you're free to do change, right? Your options. Um, but he also frees us from things, right? And to me, that has been the biggest change I guess in the way I think about the world, I am free from insecurity. I'm free from fear. I'm free from self-loathing. I'm free from questioning myself. I'm free from feeling like I'm being judged by my peers. I'm free from all of those things, right? And even, you know, thinking even about things like the Ten Commandments, which are commandments, you shall not, right? But if you're not murdering, right? If you're honoring your parents, if you're not coveting, you are free from all those things that come with that too, right? And to me, that freedom from those things was just really powerful. And then obviously, as I said, you're free to do things, but ideally you are changing, right? And so what you want to do changes and you realize that you are free. And I guess that for me, for my kids, knowing who I was, and obviously they are their own people and their own personalities and their own minds, right? But if I could help them to understand that, right, as they grow with Christ, as they grow up and they see all these things around them and all these opportunities and all these options of things that I don't want them to have to experience, right? that realizing they have freedom, right? And the freedom they have is just as much freedom to do something as it is freedom from, right? What all those other negative things bring you. That's so fascinating because you think about it, the seventh grade Don was looking for freedom and running after what he thought was freedom only to Mm -hmm. find it was not going to be the path that he thought, you know, like that, isn't that that interesting that like, Mm -hmm. that's where you were going and you found it. Yeah. Just a totally different path that you thought it was going to be on. Yep. And I was there the whole time. I just wasn't really paying much attention, I guess, or too caught up in, in my own, my belief in my own self to resolve everything. Well, I um, appreciate you being willing to talk. Um, and I didn't realize that you haven't had an opportunity to really share your testimony in such like a, in this kind of manner. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like Good conversations going to be coming from your with your kids. Yeah, looking forward to it. I, I know they're keen to ask a lot of questions. Well, keen to listen to this when it comes out. So, uh, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And um, now you do have a website where mm-hmm. people maybe could reach out to you if they had any questions or wanted to talk further. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you can go to my personal or my lab website, and I get the email from there. That's fine. It's okay. yeah. And I have it on uh, the show notes, which. Is it he clab? Is that it? I call it heck lab. Heck lab. That makes more sense. Hecklers, perhaps. Yeah, it's human and environmental change lab. Yeah. So hecklab.org, and if and those emails or the when you go into contact, that comes straight to me. And um, you know, if you're an anthropologist and you want to peruse around anthropology terminology, that's all there as well. (laughs) (laughs) It had some really cool pictures. I have to say that. And uh. And so anyway, but I appreciate you coming in and and doing this with us. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate the invitation to be here. It's been fun. 
Hey, thanks for being with us for this Jewel Show podcast. You can reach out to Don Nelson on his website at heclab.org, heclab.org. And you can find Jewels on Facebook and Instagram. If you have missed a Jewel Show podcast, you can find an archive of every Jewel Show at thejoyfm.com slash jewels and wherever fine podcasts are hosted.